Well, welcome to the transit. I'm Peter McCarthy. Um, as you probably already know, Jeff Toomer's out of town this weekend. Him and his family are taking a vacation. We're in our series, Summer in the Psalms. And today it's my privilege to bring to you Psalm 23. Um, I picked this psalm because it's familiar to all of us. And I've been seeing fresh revelation in it. So I wanted to bring it to you guys today. We're going to go ahead and, and just read through Psalm 23 together. If we could pull that up on the screen. All right. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the shepherd. God, we know because you claim to be the good shepherd. And I I pray that you would come and reveal yourself to us. Holy Spirit, we can't see Jesus without you. We need you to reveal Jesus to us. And I pray in spite of me, you would reveal Jesus through the word today, God, through Psalm 23. I pray that we would identify God with David. Lord, that we'd identify with the postures of his heart. God, that we would identify, Lord, with you leading us. And God, that we would respond, Lord, for your invitation to lead us as your shepherd and we are the sheep. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, let's start off with verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And and first, I want to give a little bit of context about shepherds. The identity of a shepherd in historical context, uh, shepherds were looked down upon, especially by Egyptians and, and a lot of other people um, in, in that time. Shepherds were kind of a profession you really didn't want. And, and even to this day, I'm kind of like, you're, you're just watching sheep, like, bro, uh, get a job. Um, but so in, in that day, shepherds, they were looked down upon. And so if God's claiming to be a shepherd, this, this reveals his humility. And from the beginning, the fathers of the faith acknowledged that God was, in fact, their shepherd. David was called the shepherd over Israel, and then he was anointed king. So it's significant that David would say, yeah, I've been a shepherd as a boy, and now I'm the shepherd over Israel, and Now I'm saying, but God is my shepherd. In other words, Israel, um, you might call me your shepherd, but he, he, he takes this posture of humility and says, the Lord's my shepherd. So the king's acknowledging that there is a greater shepherd. The relationship of shepherd to sheep. I, I kind of like to go through this so that throughout the rest of uh, this passage, we're looking at how shepherds and sheep relate to each other. The sheep have no control over who their shepherd is. Think about that. 
The, the shepherd picks the sheep, you know, uh, cares for the sheep, tends for the sheep. And even if the sheep run away, the sheep cannot unbecome the shepherd's sheep unless the shepherd decides not to go after them. In other words, the relationship of shepherd and sheep really depends upon the shepherd, whether or not the shepherd wants to tend the sheep, look after the sheep, bring the sheep back into the fold. It's dependent upon the shepherd. And the future surety of the relationship is dependent upon the shepherd. Now, we see in John 10 that Jesus is called the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then again, in verses 14 and 15, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So going forward, even though this is Old Testament, I'm gonna be speaking synonymously of shepherd and Jesus because Jesus is the one claiming to be the shepherd. And we know that um, any interaction with, with human beings before Jesus or after Jesus is Jesus. He's not incarnate yet, but it's, it's, it's the power of God. It's the person of Jesus before he you know, became a baby. But all human interaction with God is really through the person of Jesus. We know that from Colossians. All things were made through Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus, from the beginning, he's the preeminent one that we're relating to. So I'm going to speak as though Jesus is the shepherd because he is. Now, a little bit about sheep. <laughs> I, was, I was preparing for uh, this message, and our office, uh, my office, MicroStrategies in Tyson's Corner. These guys work with me. Hey, guys. Um, and so... <laughs> Um, so I, I was I was sitting looking out over the parking lot uh, into the movie theater, and there's just people going everywhere. And I was like, man, they're like a sheep without a shepherd, you know? They're they're going to get more food or walk around Lord and Taylor and text, you know? Some people go to the mall not even to shop. Hey, want to go hang out? Yeah, we're at the mall. Okay, why? I don't know. Um, but they're hanging out there, just kind of wandering around, doing their own thing, and um, it, it just. I was like, man, that's just a bunch of sheep. And that's what sheep do, you know? They're directionless without a shepherd. They go hurriedly to meaningless things. So here's the clause, I shall not want. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's important to know that this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Sometimes we think, right, the Lord's my shepherd. Okay, I'm not wanting. Even though I want this relationship, even though I want this job, even though I want this card, I acknowledge Jesus is my shepherd, so I'm not going to want. We think it's like the medicine or the religious Christian reaction to say, okay, God's my shepherd, I'm not wanting. But that's not really what's going on here. The power of God is more than that. This is descriptive. In other words, David's saying, the Lord's my shepherd. And when I acknowledge that he is my shepherd, my heart changes to realize that he's what I need. He's what I desire. He's what I want. And that want is now fulfilled. So he's finding his fulfillment in the good shepherd. This is prescript. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. The correlation is always between the Lord being our shepherd and 
our lack of need. So we go and we say, God, I need you, I need you, I need you. And he fulfills us as the shepherd. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. Doesn't this just show the initiative of Jesus? I mean, have you guys ever sensed the initiative of Jesus? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You know that he's the one leading you to good places. But the question must arise, are good places always synonymous with good contexts? So, man, I'm going through this great time in life. Lord, you're my shepherd leading me beside still waters and just a great time. I feel like I'm on top of the world. It's not always that way. I think about the story when Jesus calls Peter out on the water. They finish up ministry, Jesus and his disciples. He's like, all right, guys, I'll meet you on the other side of the lake. They're like, Oh, okay. And so they get in a boat. Jesus disappears. And, you know, they're going over the seas and it's nighttime. And then waves come and there's a storm and they're focused on stuff. And then all of a sudden, hi, I think that's Jesus over there. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I think it is. And Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, call me out on the water. And Jesus is like, well, who else would it be? Like, come on. Um, it's clearly Jesus, and Jesus calls Peter out onto the tumultuous water, and what happens? He is fixed. His gaze is fixed on Jesus. He gets out of the boat, waves and all, nighttime. Who knows what the other disciples were doing? Peter, you shouldn't do it. Gets out of the boat. You're a crazy man. Gets out of the boat, eyes locked on Jesus, starts taking steps. And then it says, all of a sudden, the waves and the wind, they pick up, and he loses focus, and he starts to drown. Jesus comes, rescues him, pulls him back into the boat, says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Which is synonymous with, why did you take your eyes off me? Notice that when Peter was locked into Jesus, regardless of the wind, regardless of the waves. It was as though he was walking by still waters. It was as though he was walking by green pastures. The context isn't necessarily important. What's important is that when you're so fixed on the good shepherd, that I shall not want kicks in. And all the waves and all the turmoil of life, they kick up. But all of a sudden, it's less meaningful. It's less significant in your walk with Jesus, and you begin to walk peacefully, and you begin to walk calmly. And yeah, sometimes we lose focus, and that's why Jesus comes after us and picks us out of the water. Is he still the good shepherd that he would let us drown at times? Not drown, but start to sink? Here's the thing. When Jesus is in focus, our circumstances fade as the dominant Reality, but Jesus is glorified that he would allow us to come into situations where we could fail, but he rescues us and he shows his power. The power wasn't in Peter's ability to walk on water, the power was in what he was focusing on. Do you guys ever notice that? You can tell so much about a person by what they're focused on. And Jesus was focused on Peter and the results. We're clearly seen. The only thing that didn't change in this story was Jesus. 
Notice the wind, the waves, they were changing. Peter was changing. But Jesus didn't. Because there's only one constant in the universe, and that's our shepherd. Can you see, just from the beginning, what we want is a picture that, yeah, there's all this stuff, kind of like Hebrews 12 too. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. Yeah, there's a cross, there's all this stuff, but there is a joy, and that's Jesus. So the question is, can you be led by still waters when you're actually surrounded by life's rocky waters? The answer is yes, Jesus is the still water. And, and here's a little bit about the illusion of fear in this situation. The circumstances that troubled Peter didn't trouble Jesus. I mean, sometimes you notice that, like, God, why are you calling me to do this? This seems hard. And just like, I'm on the water. He calls us above. He calls us to a new place of perspective where all of a sudden, really what is important is the focus on Jesus, not the circumstances. He calls us into his perspective, not our perspective, because he is the ultimate reality. And I love how, how David starts off verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Here's a little bit about he restores my soul. Here's what we know so far that shows that. Jesus is my shepherd. He's David's shepherd, but I'm starting to just speak as though this is me in this situation. If you'll go with me on this journey. Because he's my shepherd... I am fulfilled. We know that he leads me. We know that he leads me to himself. And because of this, my soul is restored. So in other words, the Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in green pastures. And then he restores my soul. There's this coming into, okay, yeah, what's going on here isn't a circumstantial change. It's an inward change. Where all of a sudden my soul by focusing on the shepherd, by responding to the call of the shepherd, there's internal change of a soul being restored. The restoration of my soul is evidence that he is leading me well by leading me to himself. Jesus doesn't lead us anywhere but to himself. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Notice He's initiating. He's leading. There is no sheep that leads a shepherd. And it's his righteousness. He is our righteousness. And I started to think about this. Righteousness isn't a path. Righteousness is a person. From the beginning, the law, the prophets, they're testifying of a person. And then when he shows up, they fail. Righteousness, sometimes we think, gotta walk on paths of righteousness. Don't tempt me. I'm going this way. I'm doing these things. I'm, I'm doing my moral obligations. I'm fulfilling my own righteousness. And that's not what's happening here. What's happening here, the path of righteousness is relationship. It's union with the shepherd going where he goes. Sometimes it's not fitting all our checkpoints, but it is fulfilling his agenda for the path. So righteousness isn't a path. It's a person and we become righteous by believing upon him. That's justification by faith, where God declares us righteous when we see that he is the only way and we fully begin to believe in him. It's an issue of the heart, whereby our hearts conform to the love of the righteous man, 
to love the good shepherd. It's where our hearts learn to desire to follow him. Trust in the shepherd merits righteousness. When we begin to trust, Jesus says, you're righteous. He does this for his glory. Because of this, he gets the glory. He made the way. He was the way. He brought us to the way. He gets the glory. And we say, man, is that really a loving God that he's doing this for himself? He didn't have to shepherd us. Of course he gets the glory that he goes after stray sheep. Of course he gets the glory. Of course he's doing this for his name's sake. Of course this is so that the name of God might be made known over all the earth. He's leading us for his name's sake. We get the love. He gets the glory. All right. That was, that was some really foundational stuff. Thanks for sticking with me. It gets a little more into the stories now, and I love this. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they come for me. We've prayed that. I mean, how many of you have just like prayed that like so many times? You know, even though I'm walking through the valley, I'm like, I'm not sure what the valley is, but God, this is the valley. Show up, do something. I'm in the valley here. I've been there. I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. David acknowledges what he's going through. When we come to God, we need to acknowledge what we're going through. God, I'm going through this. I'm going through this context. I'm going through these hard times. My my emotions are such that, Lord, I'm not trusting. I'm torn apart. I need you. I'm in the valley. He says, but I will fear no evil. He acknowledges that his emotions are modified because Jesus is with him. Again, the dominant reality kicks in that Jesus is here. He's sustaining me. He's guiding me. He's leading me. The relationship between our fear and the shepherd's presence, the presence of the shepherd alters our focus and subdues our fears. Really, fear is a matter of focus. Start looking at your finances. Start freaking out. You start looking at a tractor trailer on the road. That guy's going to hit me. And then all of a sudden, you start veering over towards him. And and that's a big issue because you might die, um, to put it plainly. I mean, I'm just processing up here. Like, I guess I might die if I did that. Um, but fear is an issue of focus. Do you see how David's heart is changing? He's acknowledging his circumstances. He's saying, you're with me. His heart is beginning to trust the shepherd, and he's giving the shepherd precedence, more significance, more weight over his circumstances. And here's the coolest part. I love this. The language changes from he to you. He leads me. He leads me. He leads me. And then he's in the valley, and he says, all all of a sudden, wait, you lead me. You lead me. I'm not just talking about some God out there. I'm talking about the God that's with me. I'm talking about the God that loves me. I'm talking about the God that knows me. I'm talking about the God I have a relationship with. Is everyone tracking with me? Is this meaningful to you guys? Are you guys identifying with David in this place? I know I do. Where you're in that place where is God really leading me through a valley? 
Is he really leading me through a valley? And again, it just kicks in. Wait, who cares if I'm on high waters? Who cares if I'm in a valley? Who cares if I'm on a mountaintop? What matters is you are with me. Church, today, may we know that Jesus is with us. And may our hearts turn to be satisfied in the fact that Jesus is with us. May our emotions go towards not our circumstances, but the fact that Jesus is with us. And the more we get to know Jesus, may we become so delighted in him that the circumstances around us fade away. And then the world says, why are you guys not freaking out right now? Well, because <laughs> I got a shepherd. And he's leading me. We learn to love God when our need for God becomes clear. Intimacy was realized in the valley for David. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. When I started reading this a little more, I was like, it's kind of awkward, like, in the presence of my enemies. You can just picture David like fighting. Maybe he's got that slingshot, you know, Gangnam style. Um, you know, he's just like, eh, we're the giants. Um, just going after them, you know. Like I kind of identify with that. You know, everyone's a giant. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can just see he's like fighting, he's fighting. And then all of a sudden, the initiation of the shepherd. Hey, I got this feast for you. I got this table like, um, yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but this is my enemies. I'm fighting here, and it's not really time to feast. It's time to fight. What's God doing there? What's he doing that in the middle of a war, in the middle of David's war, in the middle of David's control, in the middle of David's inclination to defend himself, that's my, that's my sword motion, um, in the middle of what David's going through, the shepherd shows up and says, I've got a feast for you. And that looks delicious, shepherd, but I can't right now. And, and what God is doing here for David is he's setting up a trust test. This is all about trust. This is all about trust. We don't trust God that he will provide the best for us. And I'm not just talking about like, you know, he'll provide wealth and a BMW for everyone if you just ask him and trust him, you know, like, because we believe that. Um, no, but he's, he's bringing him to a place where David realizes that God's all satisfying for him where God will fully fulfill him, where God will fully bring him into a place of full delight, full enjoyment, and it's an awkward situation. Now, what's cool is Jesus did this. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus goes, dines with the Pharisees, and all of a sudden this prostitute woman shows up, takes out some nice oil, puts it on Jesus' feet, starts like wiping his feet with her hair. I mean, talk about weird I'd be like, oh, yeah, oh, can we like not do this right here? Um, and, and that's what the Pharisees were thinking. You creep, bringing her in here like that, doing that. Stop it. And Jesus is like, no, this is, this is a better act of worship. Jesus enjoyed the weird context of receiving a lavishing, and he's, he's showing us 
that in the awkward context, he brings us into communion with him. In the weird parts of life where you don't feel like being with Jesus, he brings you in and says, I want to bless you. And you know what that does? It brings the gospel into our hearts. We start saying, wow, I really can't sustain myself. In terms of the level that Jesus has set, I can't satisfy myself. I can't provide for myself, not on this level. I can't provide this kind of rest. I can't provide this kind of fulfillment. And we begin to realize only he can do that. Only he can bring us into a place where we become so full and so trusting and so rested. And he's the one that initiates that. He initiates communion with us. And then he says, you anoint my head with oil. A little bit about this. Sometimes we think of like cool like shampooing or whatever. Or like the dude in Lord of the Rings where like stands on the altar and he's like, oh. You know, and he's like about to set himself on fire and it's just like kind of weird. I'm like, what do I think about this? Like, anoint my head with oil? Well, there's a couple things it could actually mean. It could mean that David was stuck in a thicket or some kind of stall or whatever, you know. And the shepherd puts oil on to loose him from what he was bound in. In other words, I have a feast for you. Your focus is in bondage right now. And I'm pulling you out of self-focus. I'm pulling you out of bondage. And I'm showing you the fulfillment of your life myself. That's what Jesus does for us. He pulls us out of our perspective and pulls us into eternal feast with him. This is the grace of God. He looses us from self-trust into a place of trusting Jesus. He's reorienting us. Think about this. This isn't the world or the way the world operates. The way the world operates is entropy. We're breaking apart from the center. We're going our own way. We're going into chaos. And what Jesus does is brings us into shalom. It's a peace of order where the, the heart follows what Jesus leading and we go from scattered everywhere, waves, enemies, valleys. I can't handle this. And Jesus brings us in and centers us on the center of the universe. Let me just tell you, if things aren't centered on Jesus, it's chaos and those things are not eternal. They're going to fail. They're going to fall But when Jesus is so gracious that he brings us into a place where he centers us on himself, he brings us peace. He shows us how to feast. And then David says, my cup overflows. In other words, David's saying, I'm in a position to trust God. I'm in a position to receive from God. And now I'm in a position to enjoy God. The cup overflowing is a sign of abundance, is a sign of blessing. And only Jesus brings that. And we only find that in Jesus. This is the gospel. The God doesn't just save us from our own way. He saves us unto himself. He brings us to himself and he blesses us and gives us fullness of joy. Once we trust God, then we can enjoy God. And finally, verse 6. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the first time that David takes initiative in this psalm. He leads me, he leads me, you lead me, you lead me, you anoint, and I will dwell. The first five verses are the process of heart transformation. The last verse is the evidence of heart transformation, delight in God. What God does all of life is God bringing us into a place. Yeah, I'm letting you go through these circumstances. Yes, I'm calling you out onto the water. Yes, I'm letting you walk through valleys. Who's gone through a hard time in here? Okay, yeah, sounds good. Um, He brings us through those places so that we learn to trust him. And then he changes our hearts to where we're conditioned to say, and now I'm going to stay because I found the most satisfying thing. And that's at the feast. That's at the table of the Lord. That's with my shepherd. That's with Jesus. So he positions our heart by the grace of God. And then our hearts are so changed that we decide to stay. We decide to delight. You guys know that. If you find something you like, you stay there. You go back to the restaurants you like. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a sign of things to come. That Jesus is preparing us for eternity. We go through this training of life to learn to trust God and receive from God and enjoy God. And then forever, we're going to be with the good shepherd. Forever, David's going to be with the good shepherd. Forever, for those that have feasted at the table of God that have come to him and said, I'm just a sheep. I need a leader. I'm just a hungry sheep. I need a feast. I'm just a man going through life. I need someone to call me out on the water, give me new perspective. Jesus says, be with me forever. And so David's acknowledging that. David's acknowledging that forever his joy is going to continue. Okay, I'm done. And I wanted to invite Joe and Abby up on um, instruments. I want to pray this psalm over us. Erica, can you go back to slide one where it's the full psalm? I want to pray this over us. Pray this over our hearts, that our hearts would be conditioned to receive from the shepherd. And, you know, this is kind of a solemn psalm where it's like, wow, like we start to realize we're going through a hard time or there's weird stuff in life and, and, and Jesus wants to meet us there. And so I want to pray this over us that God would bless us in this way. Jesus, we thank you that you are our shepherd. God, be our shepherd. Lord, we invite you, be our shepherd. Lord, lead us. God, the hearts that are here, my heart, our hearts, Lord, lead us as the shepherd. God, we want to trust you. Lord, thank you that when you lead us, God, we will not want. Lord, our desires change and our desires are fulfilled in you. God, thank you that you lead us. You lead us to peaceful places. And Lord, those peaceful places don't always mean great contexts, but you lead us to yourself. 
Lord, there's stillness with you regardless of our context. God, I pray you would do that in our hearts. God, do that in our focus. Lord, tomorrow when we go back to work and it's just chaos, God, I pray that you would so capture our attention and capture our affection, Lord, that we would know that you're the one leading us, God. Lord, thank you that you restore our souls. Lord, that our, uh, the, the things in life that have fractured us, where our emotions are, are hurt, God. Lord, where we stop expecting to, for you to lead us. God, I pray you to restore those areas. God, thank you that you initiate that, that you love us, God. I invite you, restore our souls. Lord, over each individual here, God, restore our souls. Lord, lead us, God, in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Lord, lead us to you and lead us for you. God, we pray that you would be glorified, God, as you lead us to yourself. And God, when we're in the valley, Lord, when there's evil around us, God, when it's a hard time, God, I pray that it would get personal with you. Lord, that we would see you more clearly. God, that we would hear your voice more clearly. Lord, that the word would be opened up to us. God, thank you that you do that. God, thank you for the table you set before us. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would learn to trust you and go to the table and enjoy you. God, we want that. We need that. God, as a people, we're hungry for you. Lord, stir our hunger. Fix our attention. And Lord, we pray that we would feast with you. And God, thank you that this is just a sign of the things to come. God, that this life isn't it for the believer. But Lord, that forever, God, we will be feasting with you. We will be knowing you more intimately. God, I pray that you would call us, God, from our current satisfaction to a more full satisfaction, a more full understanding of who you are. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.